it's a really different endeavor. When we're doing continuous listening, that could be allowing employees to provide feedback anytime, or it could be uh, pinging them weekly or monthly. We're doing quick action. We're not doing action plans. We're getting ideas together. We're meeting with our teams so that we can raise up issues, ideas, solve for them and move on, just like we do every day and all the other kinds of work we do, trying to figure out how we get something done. Employee experience should be no different. Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode three of season 19 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Melissa Aronte, Employee Experience Practice Lead at Medallia. Melissa started her career in people analytics before the term really even existed. I mean, this is what I always wanted to do, but I didn't know it was called people analytics. I used to call it internal research. Um, So when I finished my PhD, I was looking for a job like this, but nobody was looking for me. Since then, Melissa's career has taken her on a fascinating journey, and she has become a bona fide expert in employee surveys and continuous listening. Two topics that we cover extensively throughout this episode. So we actually like to call it continuous understandings, right? So bringing in data about employees that help us better understand their experience before we ever send them a survey. So a really simple example I like to give is who's the employee's manager? Is it a high performing manager or a low performing manager? Right? That simple piece of information is just one example. Throughout this episode, Melissa and I discuss the state of employee experience today, how to measure the business impact of employee experience and the future of the field. Melissa also gives her advice on the technology buying journey for employee experience leaders. And we also discuss continuous listening in the workplace, the business value, the key challenges, and the data sources available beyond employee surveys. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Melissa Aronte, Employee Experience Practice Lead at Medallia to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Great to have you on the show, Melissa. Can you introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about your background and work? Sure, I'd be glad to. Thank you, David. I'm so excited to be here. As you know, I'm a fan of yours. I read your monthly newsletter um, with great interest. So thank you for having me. Um, I as we mentioned, I'm from Medallia. I've been with Medallia a little over two years now. And prior to joining, I had been a customer of Medallia. So I've been in people analytics for about 15 years, um, head of people analytics at Liberty Mutual Insurance and then Citizens Bank. And while at the bank, I moved into customer experience so I could bring employee and customer data together. And that was where I met Medallia. And we implemented over 15 programs in employee and customer experience. By programs, I mean surveys. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And I think the last point is I have a PhD, which I have found very valuable in my current job as well as my prior jobs. Well, thank you, firstly, for the kind words, Melissa. Um, I'm glad someone reached those monthly updates. That's, uh, so that's really cool. Um, I'm interested, actually, because um, you, you, you've had that, obviously, extensive experience as a practitioner and actually been in the people analytics field for a long time, you know, 15 years is a long time in people analytics because there weren't that many companies doing people analytics 15 years ago. I'm just wondering how that experience and then, of course, uh, citizens working on the customer experience side, how that's helped you in your in your current role at Medallia and, and helped Medallia as well. Right. Thank you. Um, so it's interesting when you say 15 years is a long time. I mean, this is what I always wanted to do, but I didn't know it was called people analytics. I used to call it internal research. 
Um, so when I finished my PhD, I was looking for a job like this, but nobody was looking for me. So I first started doing compensation analysis with Towers Perrin at the time. Um, and after many compensation jobs, one day I saw a job opening looking for someone uh, with a degree in industrial relations who could do analytics. And I don't even think that's what we called it back then. It might have just been called, you know, prediction or regression or something. Um, and that's how it started that long ago. Um, but it's been immensely helpful um, working at Medallia to have the background in people analytics because when we talk about survey research, and we do so much more than just surveys at Medallia, we also bring in what we call signals, um, which to any other people analytics person would mean just other pieces of data to better understand the employee experience. Um, but what's been so helpful is to have done that kind of research in my past. I mean, often we'll get asked about how can you better understand um, inclusion? And, you know, we actually did that for years. Um, bringing sort of all sorts of data together. Uh, we were doing it very manually, and it might take us six months <laughs> with a small team <laughs> of people and several different software packages because everything was dispersed. Um, but we did do that kind of work. Now so much is automated in platforms like Medallia. Um, so being able to share how hard it was, um, but also the findings and how we can build some of that out in Medallia today has been immensely helpful. It's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, have spent, as you said, you spent some time at Citizens in customer experience, and I know Medallia came from customer experience and broadened into employee experience. And I think it's probably fair to say that you know employee experience as a as a concept is a few years behind customer experience. So I guess Medallia has been able to bring a lot of experience from the the CX world in, in in into the EX world. And obviously, in the last two years, you know, you know, there's been so much more reliance on organizations around employee experience and listening. And thank God, it's been at the forefront of, of, of many organizations mind. But from someone that's working in that field, I'd love to understand, you know, from your perspective, how has the typical organization's approach to to EX changed in, in the last year since the start of the pandemic? Yeah, I love how you mentioned um, the roots of Medallia being in customer experience and how now people have so much focus on employee experience. So we feel really um, at an advantage at Medallia because we're able to bring all those practices forward that we've used in customer for so long. If you think about something simple like what Medallia tried to do or first set out to do and successfully did more than 20 years ago was understand the customer journey across all the touch points which is much harder to do actually than the employee side. Um, having done both, it's much easier to get data about employees. They're a captive audience and we know so much about them that's easily accessible. Customers, it's so hard. And especially yeah. the people we want to be customers, right? Who come into our website or into our store and don't purchase and leave. It's almost impossible to get information about them. So we're at a real advantage in EX. So I believe we should be able to fly right past CX by using many of the techniques um, that they've used. Um, but we have better access to data. We can do things faster. Our managers, the people we want to take action are right here under our control. It's easy to reach employees, much harder to reach customers. Uh, so we have such an opportunity. Um, and when I was running... Um, People analytics, I would borrow ideas that I would see in the customer surveys I'd participate in. I participate in every survey I get because it's always a chance to learn usually how a survey shouldn't be done, but sometimes <laughs> you learn how, how a survey could be done. Um, yeah. One of my experiences um, I'll, I'll call out as sweet green. I don't know if you, if you get sweet green, if you have that, um, but they 
create amazing salads. And if you call their contact center, you get a survey from a company called Stella, which is actually a recent Medallia acquisition. And they have the most beautiful, elegant surveys I had ever seen. And I was copying them years ago in employee experience um, and then came to Medallia and found them here. Small world, isn't it? <laughs> so so sort of looking at the employee experience perspective now then, so you know, how has you know typical organizations approach to EX change since since you know since the pandemic started two years ago? So when you ask about how companies are changing, there's some really fascinating ways that I'm excited to see. One is that I see companies more interested in reaching employees in different ways than the traditional kiosk and an email survey. Um, and, you know, there's so many issues and I don't need to go into them that we all know when we ask employees to participate in an annual engagement survey, for example, with a kiosk, with privacy and all the other th complications that come with it, allowing employees to complete a survey with something as old fashioned as a QR code. And then they can quickly do it on their phone and making the survey shorter. Um, or a lot of times we'll use what we call a digital survey, which means we put a survey in something like their clock in clock out system. So if you can imagine an employee clocks in, it could be on their cell phone, or it could be in something as they walk in, or it could be multiple iPads, it could be in their point of sale system. There's so many different ways that companies interact with their employees digitally, and that gives us an easy opportunity to survey them. But these aren't 60 question surveys. They might be yeah. two, maybe three questions. And another way to make it faster and more accessible for employees is by letting them have more freedom to just say what they want to say. Fewer structured questions, more just use your voice or even video so that you can quickly record your response and then we can analyze it on the back end. So we're seeing many more companies adopting that kind of approach of meeting employees where they are instead of having employees chase an email somewhere or line up to use a kiosk. Um, another thing that we're seeing is getting employees involved in the action planning. So traditionally, there'd be like an action planning library um, that would help get managers inspired. But often managers, you know, I'm really interested in writing this article about the middle managers and the pressure that's put on them. That's a little bit of an aside, but this is one more place where we put so much pressure on managers and not too much support for them, right? Senior leaders say, oh, we got negative scores on survey. The managers need to do something about it. And employees are looking up and saying, I gave you my feedback or my complaints. I need you to do something about it. Why is it all put on the managers? Together as a team, we can solve for it, right? That's what we do every day in the work we do. We come together as a team, our manager and the team members, and we figure out how we're going to better serve our customers or solve a system problem. Let's do that with employee experience too. And I'm excited to see some companies working on that. Um, so those are a couple examples of how I'm seeing things change. And do you think that's been partly driven by this desire to understand from for employees how they feel on a more continuous basis partly because we've been in this health crisis do you think that's was it because i know companies were starting to um you know ask their ask, ask um their employees questions more often and with shorter you know as you say one or two questions and rather than 60 questions every every year and stuff like that but do you think it's you know has it changed or has it has it, has it been catalyzed a little bit by the by the pandemic I definitely think so, because employees can tell us what's happening, what they're anticipating. They can see what's happening with customers, right? We call it the untapped power of your people. And mm. to be able to 
ask employees, they'll tell you the problems that are coming up. We had a customer working with us on both employee and customers at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, it happened to be a bank in the UK. And they asked both customers and employees about how do we come together in the branches with the beginning of COVID when we hadn't figured out the plexiglass and everything. And they both had really good insight, the employees and customers, and were able to bring that information together to design an in-branch experience where both felt comfortable. So employees can give us a lot of good information about what's coming or what customers are experiencing or explain to us the problems customers are having. When a customer just says, I'm unhappy, or the line's long, or I'm leaving, or I'm frustrated, they don't know the processes and systems behind it, but employees can tell us that. Yeah, otherwise you're only really getting one one side of the story, aren't you? And you need both sides to create a better experience for both. Right. And to really understand the root cause. Often employees know. Employees will even say, and we give them an opportunity to provide feedback about their own experience. They're so dedicated to their customers that they use that opportunity to talk about customer problems because they're engaged and they want to solve for them. So let's let's use that. Let's take that untapped power and help use it to make the experience better for both. Because that's what our employees came to work for, to serve their customer, to make a difference, right? To have an impact on the lives of their customers. And I think one of the other things you mentioned, love to develop it further, you know, people still traditionally view surveys as lots of questions, a scale of one to five or one to seven, depending on the, the methodology used. But you talked about video, you talked about open uh, questions. And obviously now we have the technology that we can analyze both voice and, and, and words and, and we can pull out much deeper insights from that than maybe we can from the way people might respond to uh, a one to five um, sort of survey where you have to mark it. I guess you, you get insight from both, but potentially get deeper insight from, from text and from video. You definitely do. I mean, after having run engagement survey for over nine years, I had... 60 plus questions. And that was after I had reduced it from 80. And I was excited that I got it down to 60 back then. Right. But what I always found is that, you know, through how much time it took us to do our text analytics, we got more insight from the comments than we did from the close-ended questions. Because the close-ended questions are just our hypotheses. Mm -hmm. right? But what employees have to tell us, there's a whole universe of things that they could tell us. And our hypotheses are only a small subset. So, I now put my effort into the back end and analyzing the feedback from the employees. So rather than spending so much time on survey design, I design two or three good questions and then use the natural language processing and other forms of text analytics on the back end to really understand what employees are saying and how that's related to their behavior, turnover, productivity, sales, performance. I mean, so that that's one of the, you know, one of the misnomers perhaps about using surveys as part, as part of understanding employee experience and improving employee experience. What are the other things that people commonly get wrong about employee experience? Yeah, and I don't know if they're wrong. I just think that our opportunity to think about how to get employee feedback is really evolving. So we used to think that a really high response rate, and some people may still think this is really important. I certainly used to think that and, and took a lot of pride in the fact that we had typically an 87% response rate on our engagement survey. And I've seen companies with as high as 95%, right? Um, and that if it was too low, it wasn't healthy. But we were only serving them once a year and we spent you know three weeks or a month encouraging them with all kinds of... Um, enticements to fill it out. Um, and I don't know that we're always getting 
honest feedback. And so I think thinking about the opportunity that we could drop the idea that we need a high response rate and allow employees to respond when they have feedback instead of one particular month that we decide to drop the survey. Because at the moment we drop the survey, any employee is experiencing a myriad of things, right? Maybe they've just had turnover on their team or their manager just left or their new process was just put in or they're behind in a project. There's a million things that they could be focused on. And now suddenly we're asking them about 60 different things and they have to stop and answer those things at that moment. But give them the power to provide the feedback when they have it. Here's the impact to me and my team when we have turnover. Or here's how hard it's been for me when my manager's changed or the system just changed and I have an idea about how it can be better. Um, but not everyone's going to respond at the same time. And so we're going to have much lower response rates. Um, but we've seen great response rates in um, what we call continuous understanding programs, just allowing employees yeah. to provide feedback at any time. It can be 20 25%. But if you have a good handful of employees raising an issue or suggesting an idea, it seems worth pursuing. We don't need 90% of the population to tell us. Um, um, one of the other misnomers that you know, I hear from a lot from practitioners is, when they want to move to more frequent either surveys or more frequent opportunities for for employees to be able to provide feedback, the, the, the message that comes back sometimes from people in HR, sometimes people in the business is survey fatigue. You know, I think we could talk about, I'd love to hear your views on survey fatigue, but is it is it more that what frustrates employees is when there's no action taken and no communication, less than less than survey. So I'd, yeah, love to understand your, your views around survey fatigue. Too. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right, David. I think that's often what we say. It's not that people are tired of being asked how they feel. They're being tired of being asked, but then no action being taken. But myself, I ran an always on at Citizens for over five years and it continues to run today. And those employees are not tired of responding because that data was used. It was used for senior leaders to make decisions. And it was also used locally in the branches where the teams could come together in their weekly huddle and use that as some of the input, the employee feedback, the customer feedback, the sales, right? All the pieces come together to make good decisions. It's hard to make decisions about employee experience without information. And our managers are doing that every day. Right? If they can bring their team together and make the employees part of it, it just helps in problem solving. It helps us know if something we think is going on that's typically anecdotal, we heard in the hallway or there's a rumor, well, let's find out in the survey. If it's running all the time, just ask your employees. Everybody, tell us how that new system's working. Now we have data and we can all talk about it and make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you don't, if you don't ask employees, how do you know what's going on and how can you then improve things or or if things are good how do you how do you know so yeah really important when we come back in just a moment Melissa shares her views on who in the organization should own employee experience every single day your people are sharing how they feel and what they need from where they work are you listening are you taking action you can with Medallia Medallia, a global leader in employee experience management, empowers people leaders with the most comprehensive set of experience tools to help you act confidently in times of uncertainty. Medallia helps you shorten the window between insights and action, building trust, fostering innovation, and activating the untapped power of your people. Visit www.medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more that's medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more 
Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Melissa Aronte, Employee Experience Practice Lead at Medallia. Now, let's get back to the conversation. And that kind of leads into to the, the next question, you know, who in the organization owns or should own employee experience? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting being at Medallia, seeing more and more CX practitioners wanting to own EX because it's so influential. And in some industries, it is the main driver of customer experience, right? Because it's so much more than the product, the service, right? And the whole environment, the vibe, you know, the way it feels to interact with this brand. Um, So I'm seeing it more and more in customer experience. And I think it's because too often HR team can be too tied to the ways we used to do things, which provided us so much great insight. But now we have an opportunity to do more and better um, and get more insight um, than just what we've done in the past. Um, I do see employee experience teams coming up, which is exciting to see. Um, Most often, employee experience is in uh, the HR organization, maybe in a people analytics team or organization design team. Uh, Sometimes I see it in operations, actually. A number of our customers, it's an operations group, right, who are supporting the front line. And they need information in order to better support the front line. And so they're getting feedback on systems and processes. We see IT sometimes as a customer wanting to understand the employee experience with all the systems they use. So it's it's not in any one place. No one's really um, uh, figured out the one central place it should be. And it should be owned by everyone. I mean, arguably everyone in the company has input on the employee experience. Um, but often we're prioritizing something else instead. And I suppose wherever it's owned, whether it's in HR, or if it's in, in operations, whether it's in IT, it's all about making sure that you link everything together because, you know, employee experience is, is every potential, every touch point that you have within the organization, which could be with your manager and whatever, you know, whichever function you're working with. You know, obviously we experience things from, from IT, we experience things from, from our estates when we when we actually are in the office which obviously isn't that, that often at the moment um, and we, we experience certain things from you know from hr obviously and other support functions as well so it, it's just it's making sure that you link all that together you listen and that you take action at the necessary place in the organization and i think the struggle there for people is how do you link it right you know we have all these different experiences coming from all these different you know, support groups in the company and all these, you know, different hundreds or thousands of managers, how do we link it? And, and my suggestion is the way we link it is we look at our brand, which is our promise to our customers, right? So having worked for a bank, a promise from a bank is typically something about, um, we respect you or you can trust us. So there's some sort of a value, right? Or an emotion or something that we're trying to deliver. We've worked with a jewelry store and it was about uh, making people feel special, and a beauty retailer about making people feel beautiful, right? But if we don't make employees feel that same way, for example, in the bank, if we're not treating our employees with trust, you know, telling them that they can't refund um, a customer when we know there's been an error on the bank side, the regulations say the regulatory agencies told us we must refund them in 12 days. So we refund them in 12 days, but we might know right away that it was our error and we could refund it now 
right? But banks yeah. don't have to because the regulations only said 12. So if we had prioritized trusting our uh, customers and trusting our employees, and that was what we looked at across all of the touch points, we wouldn't need any customer experience training because employees would treat customers just as they're treated internally. And in this example with trust, and I think that's how you bring it together. Um, and I think that's the key. What is it that our brand represents and how do we deliver that, not just to our customers, but to our employees? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's really powerful. Uh, I think, you know, that link is, is, is so important. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the technology buying journey for, for getting into employee experience. Now, most of our listeners are HR professionals. Some of them are, uh, are leaders. Now, what advice would you give to them as they assess vendors or technologies that will help them to do employee experience well? I see so many um, companies coming to us and they're very focused on what their current um, platform or vendor is not providing to them. And so they can ask us some really detailed questions about this process or this pain point. But you're looking at a whole new platform. You're talking to all new vendors who may have a completely new way of thinking, um, but they're still focused on solving the problems they have today with their current system. And so I would suggest letting go of that and looking at what the whole new process can be. I think it can open you up to completely new ideas and free you up from those constraints of we couldn't get this certain type of report or we couldn't get, you know, your whole new system may have none of that. You may not send out reports. You may just have dashboards. You may have just an app. You know, it could be so different. Um, the other thing, of course, any any software vendor will tell you it's about the partnership. You need to make sure that you're you're assessing the quality of people that you're going to work with and how they support. Every vendor um, customer relationship is going to have a bumpy time at some point. Somewhere there'll be a miscommunication. It's how they respond to it. It's not yeah. that they're zero. It's, it's how they respond. And then the last would be looking to the future. Are they innovating in ways that are consistent with your vision so that when you are able to move forward with something new in a year or two years from now, that they already have it in place, that you're not on the bleeding edge, as they say, it's already set up for you to use. Those would be my key points. Yeah. And I think because it's, it's challenging, I think, for, for HR professionals, HR leaders, whoever's involved in that process, because there are a lot of a lot of vendors out there um and as you said you know it's not like you all do the same thing so you know focus on the vision or focus on the outcomes that you're trying to achieve and you know pick the right partner to, to help you to do that um but yeah as you said you know if you work if you bring new technology in any let's even take it outside the ex experience you know you know if, if you bring new technology in there's a chance to change the process isn't it make it make it better can can you share some some examples of organisations that that you think are approaching um, employee experience particularly well? I think you've you've done some research on this um, recently at, at Medallia. Yeah, so many great examples. Um, I'll just I'll just pick a couple. Um, one is a hotel chain, and it isn't even one of the largest hotel chains, um, but their um, housekeepers are rarely surveyed. They were surveyed once every other year. Um, and they had to use a translator because their first language was not English. Um, so they were in a in a focus group. So it wasn't even the ability to privately provide your feedback and your ideas. Um, but what an incredibly important population in the hotel, arguably who knows more about what's happening and what could be improved than the housekeepers who really see the detail of the experience um, their guests have had. 
So they empowered them to provide their feedback and ideas in the flow of their work by each time they checked in to get their schedule for the day, they could answer a question and then with their voice, just record how, how things are for them, you know, ideas that they have, ways things could be improved. Um, you know, so again, talking about the untapped power, uh, we hear so many stories about different companies like Subway. $5 footlong came from an employee, you know, a very determined employee who got the idea through. Um, how many of those have we missed? And by being able to empower them to provide that feedback in their native language and have it translated to English for executives to read, they can gather that feedback and quickly make improvements um, and often cost savings in improving the experience for their customers. Um, Another example I'll, I'll give is many of our customers are looking to, as I mentioned, improve customer experience through employee experience. So giving employees the opportunity to provide an idea anytime they complete a transaction with a customer. So we're not pinging them and asking them, how was that transaction? How was that transaction? We know some of our, our web webcam tools um, Webinar tools, right? Each time you finish a webinar, they ask you how it was, and you're just like, you just stop answering, right? But for you to have a little button that's always sitting there that gives you the opportunity to click it and say, I had an idea this time, or actually this transaction with this customer was really hard, or here's a way things could be better. It just makes it easy. At that moment, I have an idea. It takes me seconds. Click the button, type it in, and back to work again. And so you don't lose the idea. So we have a customer doing that in a handheld um, point of sale solution that they use. So their retail employees can um, sell, you know, check out a, a customer as well as check the inventory and provide ideas all in their little handheld device that each retail employee carries in the store. I mean, both sound absolutely brilliant. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're soliciting ideas out of your employees to help improve the experience for your customers. It's just, just this makes a lot of sense. I mean, are there any steps that, companies need to make around because obviously what you want is honest feedback so again what what would you recommend that companies do to build that trust with employees that they you want that honest feedback and, and, and they won't be won't be penalized for it or it won't be attributed to an individuals so you won't be surprised at my answer it starts from the top right our leadership saying that I better get all greens or we better hit all our goals or you know or are they saying our goal here is to understand where we need to improve it's not a bad thing to find a place to improve unless you don't improve it. Our goal is to find where we can continually get better. And that method of that, that message from leadership of continuous improvement, because we want to improve too as employees. We want to keep making things better. We want to bring our ideas. Um, but I think what prevents that is when is it, you need to say everything is good. And that's what shuts it all down. Yeah, good advice. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's get back to the conversation with Melissa. 
where we discuss the business impact of employee experience. Now, lots of talk around the business impact, you know, and ultimately, obviously, I'm sure you would agree, having spent all that time in people analytics, that uh, people analytics ultimately is about the the impact it has on the business. So obviously, that can be impact, positive impact on employees as well. But how do you measure the, the business impact of employee experience? So many ways. And I think that's critical that we always do it because we don't want people thinking we're just doing this to make employees happy. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's not employees aren't coming to work um, for happiness and to play video games. And, you know, they're coming to work to make a difference. Right. And, and the way they make a difference is doing something that's meaningful um, by, by making changes, by doing a good job, by putting their self into their work and seeing that they're working on something that's meaningful, uh, that's progressing. Right. And there's some great articles about, you know, these theories and, and have shown them out. Um, so really what the way we show the business impact often is showing reduced turnover. Right. That's yeah. the biggest number we can get. Um, and it's going to be far bigger than any other department in the company, typically, um, that if we improve the employee experience to reduce the cost of turnover. And there's so many other um, un, unmeasured costs that go along with that. Um, other great metrics that we can show is improvement in productivity or sales. I think sales employees is one of the areas that is so untapped. We're so worried about making sure that they're spending every moment selling. We're not spending enough time just getting small insights from them on how we can improve our selling um, and then using that both to predict their likelihood of turnover, because typically we shouldn't be surprised when a salesperson turns over because we could see it already happening in looking at our um, our sales data. Um, and we can also show it in terms of productivity, right, for other employees, whether that's call handle time, um, and also, of course, customer experience. That's a critical outcome that, that we spend a lot of time looking at. Um, and it's it's not hard to find a link between customer and employee experience. But if you read a lot of the practitioner literature, it just says happy employees equal happy customers. And I think it's it's just too simplistic. We're missing the point. When we say happy employees, let's use a retail example. Let's tell the retail employees they no longer have to work evenings or weekends. And they're going to be thrilled. But no customer is going to be thrilled because those are the peak shopping hours, right? We need to get to the next level down and understand it's about enablement, empowerment, feedback, right? There's some key areas of employee experience that have a significant impact on customer experience. And we just need to get that next level down to show that relationship. And I think the fact that you've talked pretty much throughout the conversation about you, you know, looking at employee experience as a way of improving customer experience, you know, and, and if you improve customer experience, you're probably going to improve, improve customer loyalty and customer revenue and, and, and everything else. So I think there's a there's a good link there. You know, we talked a little bit about it, but let's, let's sort of focus now a bit more about continuous listening. So so what role does this play in employee experience you know, and how does how does continuous listening enable organizations to be more employee centric? So we actually like to call it continuous understanding. It's often called continuous listening because there's so much of a focus on the surveys, which, as we've yeah. talked about a lot, are incredibly valuable. Um, but there's more that we can do, and many organizations are already doing, um, and we call it signals, right? So bringing in data about employees that help us better understand their experience before we ever send them a survey. So a really simple example I like to give is, Who's the employee's manager? Is it a high-performing manager or a low-performing manager? Right? That simple piece of information is just one example. 
and we have lots of great information about our employees and the kind of experience that we're having. Um, we partner closely with Vizier and they have so many um, great metrics already calculated that we can combine with surveys or, or even bring in independently um, just to understand what kind of experience our employees having um, and then being able to make some predictions. I mean, that's really what we're looking for. We want to make some predictions about where are we likely to experience turnover, decline in productivity, decline in customer experience, right? Decline in any of our metrics that we can have about our employees and proactively intervene to prevent it, right? To prevent it in a good way. You know, are employees likely to turn over because the schedule is not consistent for them? That's a common reason for turnover of non-exempt employees. We all know we should have consistent scheduling. It's an important training for any supervisor, right? But in the moment, in the stress, they, they don't plan as well. I mean, these are critical things we can remind managers of, show them the link between scheduling and turnover as a simple example, and improve the scheduling so that employees can balance their life outside of work and, and continue to stay employed with us instead of finding the situation untenable and having no choice but to leave. And of course, you need that continuous understanding rather than if we go back to doing, you know, a big survey once a year, because as you, as you said, something may have been happening within a team, within, within, even within the company. It's say if you do, you know, it's a big transformation that starts in September and you survey in November, don't be surprised if the sentiment's not as good as it was the previous year. But maybe two months later, with the transformations going well, they do sometimes, you know, maybe the sentiment would be a lot better. So if you've got that continuous understanding, you can be continually adjusting and, 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 and taking action. And, you know, again, to, to, to your point, you're getting that continuous feedback that you can improve the customer experience and customer outcomes as well. You know, what are some of the key challenges with continuous listening or continuous understanding? You know, I mean, you know, acquiring the data is just one piece of the puzzle. What else, what else matters um, as part of this? Yeah, so people do raise a lot of challenges to it. And having run an always on, um, I feel like we figured out, you know, most of the challenges. So the first one they'll they'll often say is that, you know, how can we possibly act that fast? If we run an annual survey, it takes us months to work through yeah. everything and get to action planning, right? But this is working at a really different level. It's we don't want to apply the same ideas we have about the annual engagement survey. It's a really different endeavor. When we're doing continuous listening. That could be allowing employees to provide feedback anytime, or it could be uh, pinging them weekly or monthly. Um, we're doing quick action. We're not doing action plans. We're getting ideas together. We're meeting with our teams so that we can raise up issues, ideas, solve for them, and move on, just like we do every day and all the other kinds of work we do, trying to figure out how we get something done. Employee experience should be no different. So we really just want to change the thought from action planning to simply taking action with your team, right? much more local level. You can still aggregate that data and at the most, the highest levels in the organization do strategic planning that's longer term. But this um, continuous listening wasn't intended for the senior leadership team. This was intended for local teams to quickly come together, get feedback, take action, move on. Yeah. Um, you know, an, another is, you know, how do you get to insights that fast, right? Because usually it takes a long time to do analysis. So so you do need a platform that can run in real time, and that is analyzing text, right? And you need, you need um, at least one person who's checking in on some regular basis to make sure that your text is still um, coding and capturing topics um, so that you don't have managers trying to figure this out, 
you want insights right to them, you know, themes and topics being surfaced so that they can quickly see them and not, not being buried in tables of numbers. So those, those are two. Two, two very good examples. And, and actually maybe the, it extends quite nicely into the next question. You know, obviously survey data is one source of data for continuous listening or continuous understanding. What are some of the other data sources, you know, both active and, and, and passive data? Yeah, there's so many great sources. I mean, even just HRIS gives us, you know, so many insights, what's been happening to employees, um, what's been happening to their team. We see so much where nothing happened to that exact employee. They didn't turn over, but other people on their team turned over or the manager turned over or they were reorganized the whole team. Um, so looking at the team context in which they're working or their, their location. Um, so that's simple HRIS data, time data. Right. How are they taking time off? Are they saving up for long term to take a vacation or are they using the time as fast as they get it, avoiding work or job searching? Um, yeah. Other examples can be social data. Um, I know a lot of people look at, could you bring in Glassdoor? And what I've found is often looking at the Glassdoor comments, I just find the same sort of feedback that I get from the employees at the company. So they're pretty duplicative. Um, but there's there's other forms. Um, are we seeing that people are posting? A lot of companies have different social. Um, so it's not so much the the text, but the patterns. Are we having more? Are we having less? Are new employees in? Are employees coming out of it? Those are some top examples. Um, you know, have you seen, you know, companies, we've seen a little bit during the crisis, people looking at collaboration data as well. Um, so, for example, um, you know, one of the big concerns that I think people have had is that people are working longer hours. Uh, we're always on Zoom calls or team calls or uh, and um, people aren't having as much focus time, for example. Now, you can ask for that in a survey, but you can also analyze collaboration data and you can see that as well by people's calendar data. Are you seeing that being used more and more as well? You know, so much interest in it. Um, and I think actually where I see a lot of good work being done is another partner organization, Humanize, because um, they're digging a level deeper. It isn't just, are you working more? They're looking at who you're interacting with. You know, for example, yeah. they have a, a, a great example of a study of looking at salespeople and who are the salespeople that are producing the most sales? Who do they interact with in the organization? And finding more efficiency that's these salespeople with software sales they were interacting with the engineering team which isn't too common but they were understanding product roadmap understanding what was come next what could be possible for customization so they were better able to serve their customers um, than other salespeople so instead of just focusing on the hours which i think we know and i think employees can self-report again it's like getting to that next level deeper finding a way yeah. that they can be more effective and giving that them that information by comparing those high performing salespeople to the lower performing salespeople to say you can actually work less but work better by working with these other people yeah yeah it's, it's, it's interesting we're, all, we're almost at still reasonably early stage of actually using some of that data but i think as you said it has many potential benefits for companies and for employees frankly because if you're a medium performing salesperson you want to be a high performing salesperson so understanding what high performing salespeople do um, you know, it's great insight, isn't it? So um, can you can you share some um, examples of organizations you think are doing the continuous listening part well, the continuous understanding part particularly well? Yeah, so we did a couple with the hotel um, 
employees and then the um, the handheld device. Um, another one that I've seen that I really liked was um, actually a consulting company that's working with us. And what they were doing is they were surveying. So, so teams come together for consulting um, to support a client. And so they were surveying the client and the consulting team at multiple times during the project so that they were essentially giving each other feedback so they could, you know, form, storm, norm, perform faster because, you know, it takes a while for these groups to get up and running and they wanted them to be more efficient, faster. And they were doing that by giving, you know, I kind of think of it as like uh, real-time 360 because they would ping them at certain times to provide feedback, but you could also provide feedback at any time. Um, and we probably all know examples when you first start working with a consulting team, you figuring them out and how do you work together? It takes a while, but being able to provide quick feedback and understand that and learn from it, they can move forward much faster. Um, so I thought that was a unique application of, you know, continuous understanding that got two teams working together very fast. And when you do it across all your teams, right, saving a lot of hours. Yeah, good example. Good example. Well, We've got to the, the, the last question. Um, now, this is one we're asking everyone in this series, and I will definitely allow you to go beyond 2022. Um, but what is, the, what is the future of employee experience um, in 2022 and beyond, do you, do you believe, Melissa? It's what I'd like it to be, um, that it becomes so much more the norm that we can even have our names and IDs attached to our feedback because it isn't about having to try and protect you from your employer, that employers want to hear this feedback. They want to find out where they can prove that we create this different culture where we're all contributing ideas to make things better because that's why we're here. We're all on the same side. Um, so we can get rid of anonymous and confidential and focus on identified feedback and that the feedback isn't just to go to senior leadership. It can go to each other to help each other be better. I think too often we hold back our feedback um, or the feedback that's given is is really negative or only given to a manager. There's a lot of ways to listen. Um, yeah. It's not just this one way up to leaders. Um, I think also getting really comfortable with technologies like video and voice. You know, I remember quite a few years ago, but it wasn't that long ago, like maybe 11 years ago when we were first going to allow pictures in our company next to people's names. And this was going to be so great. So global company, and we'll finally be able to see each other when, you know, you can't fly, you know, and see everyone. And there was a lot of concern about what kinds of pictures people would put. Would they be inappropriate? Would they put Bart Simpson instead of themselves? Right? <laughs> and now that is so common. And actually, it's encouraged. I use my picture as a picture of my dog instead of me. But it actually shows a little bit about me. Mm. I'm thinking video and voice feedback is going to be that in just a couple of years where we're just used to it. We don't have to type things out. We just quickly say in our phone, like, this is how I'm feeling, or here's my idea. Quick, I'm done. Um, so those are a couple of my predictions or hopes anyway. What do you think for the first one around, you know, being able to attach your, your name to everything, you know, what do companies need to do to, to, to enable that sort of climate? of It's trust, isn't it, effectively? <laughs> It is. And that's partly how we build trust. Like when you read the literature about how two people create trust is you're vulnerable to someone else and, and, and they, they don't hurt you and they can be vulnerable back to you. Um, so that's why I think it starts with leadership. I mean, leadership using videos and sharing how they feel, their fears, how they're dealing with things. Um, I think we start need to be a little bit vulnerable to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and take care of each other, not not exploit that. Right. I think I think too often in work, um, we don't act at work the way we act at home. We think there's some different way we should be interacting, some more, of course, more professional, but but we shouldn't lose that part about taking care of each other and wanting to help each other and build each other up. And I, I think that can get so lost at work. And I think that's what's needed to allow um, identified feedback. Well, what a perfect way to, to, to close our discussion, Melissa. It's been fantastic having you on the show. And I really look forward to learning more about voice and, and, and video feedback, I think, as uh, as a year and maybe a couple of years go, go past. Um, how can listeners um, stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more about Medallia? Excellent. Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So please feel free to connect with me. I'd love to connect with you. And of course, you can visit the Medallia website. Um, we have a number of case studies and examples you can see there. And of course, you can have a demo anytime. Brilliant. Well, Melissa, thanks very much for being on the show. Um, yeah, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you again in person at some point uh, later in 2022. I hope so, David. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for episode four of this series, well, I'll be joined by Charles Jennings, partner at the 702010 Institute. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.